Well, welcome back to the Not Quite Compassion podcast. This is episode number 21, entitled, uh, Blessed are the Pure in Heart. This is, again, out of uh, Matthew's um, account of Jesus, uh, when Jesus gets up on a hill and shares kind of what the kingdom of God is like and, and how God sees people. And he's talking to an oppressed, marginalized group. And so I really believe he's just sharing with them what they already are. Because um, you don't give an oppressed and powerless and marginalized group of people a task or to-do list, you know? This is what you need to do in order to be better. You give them uh, encouragement. And uh, these um, blessings, these beatitudes, are so encouraging. Um, and this one is no different. It's blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, um, the way this this passage has been explained to me so much in the past is that it is a, um, uh, it's a, it's oftentimes people immediately go to like the sexual ethic, right? That what this is saying is don't masturbate. <laughs> That's the whole point of this really good news. I'm sure, can you just imagine that totally makes sense, right? Because here's a guy just like, you know, out of like 3000 years ago that just sits on a hill and a bunch of people wanted to hear him talk about how we shouldn't masturbate. That's, that makes total sense. It's not. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that purity doesn't have to do with our sexuality, though, because um, that, would, that wouldn't be fair. Um, absolutely, uh, our sexuality is tied into the sense of purity. But holy shit, has the purity movement of the church done a lot of damage, a lot of van damage. Like that 80s callback, Time Cop. Uh, it has done so much damage uh, to um, people. Gosh, I, I can tell you story after story of friends that have um, shared with me about how it's ruined their marriages and the way we have condensed and restricted and overly pressured people into what God really cares about is that you wait until you're married to have sex and you should suppress all these very desires that God put inside of you. And if they ever come up or if you ever have these thoughts that I could go on and on. That's not the point of the podcast because that's not the point of this passage. However, I do should say this, that in this progressive movement, I'm on a roll. It's been a while, and I just feel like I picked up right where I left off. I'm giving my, I feel, it's raining outside. There's no one in our house right now. I'm feeling wonderful, guys. But the point is, is uh, I will say before we move on past this point, that the progressive movement that I, I like to think I'm a part of within this Christianity, um, we have um, treaded new ground and uh, and opened up. Uh, finally, uh, the affirmation of the LGBTQ community. And I think any time a movement treads new ground, it has to then reestablish and rebuild boundaries. And I think if there's anything that this movement's had difficulty with, it's saying, hey, like, yes, this purity movement's done a lot of hurt to people, but you shouldn't go sleep with a bunch of randos either because that's actually really hurtful to you as well. You know, like, it's not a free-for-all. It's, it's trying to recalibrate what health looks like. And sometimes the pendulum can swing in unhealthy ways. So that being said, let's move on to what I think this passage is actually about and why it's such good news. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Oh, one other thing, too, about this um, sexual ethic. We're not alone in this. In Genesis 3, it's just so funny that, like, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, I almost forgot their names, Adam and Eve, um, sin against God, right? As the story goes, but they ate the, the fruit. doesn't say it's an apple, by the way. Apple's got a bum rap. But, um, but they eat this fruit, probably a, a, a kiwi, a kumquat, 
and uh, and what do they do? They they cover themselves up. They cover up their genitals. Genitals, gen, the genitals, the penis, the the vage did not make the mistake, and yet it's just. I just think it's interesting. We just we do this over and over again. You know, like we we ter- redirect all of life's insecurities towards our sexuality, and uh, history has proved that very much to be so. Because uh, <laughs> it was their mouths that did the sin. And anywho, I think blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, is more about seeing ourselves clearly and seeing others clearly. I think it's about seeing life clearly. That's what it means to be pure in heart. I, I remember um, early on as I was trying to figure out what it looked like for me to follow Jesus, that um, I tried to take on a bunch of other models. I remember being angry for a while because Mark uh, Driscoll was angry, and I thought, oh, that's Christian. Or I thought it was like about not masturbating or I thought about it was like listening to Christian music. And I remember all the time like trying to stand out like because I also wanted to retain my uniqueness as a person. I didn't want to like conform to like everyone else. And uh, and I realized that the pure in heart, the really secure ones, they were okay with being misunderstood or even being seen as everyone else because they knew their uniqueness was in Christ they didn't have to 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 over uh, estimate and um, and explain their uniqueness in other ways by getting an eyebrow ring or I mean I did that in college I think I told that story <laughs> I got an eyebrow ring in Christian college it lasted like three weeks until I had to get a job but it was all about me trying to stand out and I think the really secure ones I think the really pure in heart ones they already know that they've they they found their belonging in Christ, and that need to stand out is no longer there. I also think of um, people who see themselves clearly, to not think of too highly or too lowly of themselves, to see the world around them clearly. I think of uh, one of my coworkers, Rebecca. She's been uh, working at the food bank for like six years. Uh, really brilliant at what she does, and I've always I've seen her have such a um, a purity, such a loveliness in how she approaches people, but it's not, um, it's not naivete. Like it's, it's, she's, I've never once seen her taken advantage of. She always has very clear boundaries, but they're established in such a gentle and loving kind of way that she just is very extremely secure in who she is. I've really appreciated that about her. And I've seen in this social justice work that oftentimes our zeal for justice can make our um, motives impure. It's almost like the means justifies the ends. I'll be a jerk because I'm standing up for the oppressed. No, you're just being a jerk. Like the pure in heart have somehow figured out how to see themselves clearly and not get lost in the very work that um, is important. They're not naive. It's like a second naivete as Stan Mitchell would say, where they've kind of come full circle and they see the situation clearly and they see themselves clearly. Uh, If you want to look at the Bible for an example of this, it's the disciple Nathaniel. Did you know that there was a disciple named Nathaniel? Bet you didn't, um, because he's rarely ever mentioned. But the only time I think he is talked about by Jesus is in John chapter 1, verse 47. And so Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Or another way to say it is like there was no deceit in him, or he was sincere. Aren't those like the best kind of people to hang out with, you know? 
that you just know where you stand with them and oh my gosh, they're so refreshing. Like you just, there's just no guile. There's no angling. There's, um, oh, they just, they mean what they say and they say what they mean. It's just so refreshing to be around those kinds of people. I think that's what this verse is getting at. Because they're the ones that ultimately see God, the pure in heart. I think of my wife, Laura. Uh, she's She is the least manipulative person I have ever met in my entire life. And I have a propensity to be manipulative. And she uh, <laughs> she just... Whenever I try pulling that move over 16 years of marriage, I just feel like she just is like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> she just gets, she cuts right through the BS. It's, it's, uh, oh my gosh, it's so refreshing. And I remember um, as I was navigating um, my own deconstruction and starting to question some long held beliefs about, you know, the LGBTQ community or the Bible or, and, and she was always uh, a lot further ahead than me but so patient with my journey. And I, I don't think, uh, well, yeah, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have started this podcast. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have got fired <laughs> for, for the change of beliefs. So I guess, well, I, you know, it, it is what it is. But, <laughs> but I, I, wouldn't, I would not have arrived at some of these conclusions. Uh, I wouldn't have felt as free as I have. I wouldn't love as generously as I've learned to love. If she hadn't been so patient and, and pure in how she interacted with me, allowing me to process, it makes me want to treat others in their spiritual journey in a similar kind of way. Because I get impatient. And I think anytime I do, I lose that sense of being pure in heart. You know, you forget um, that it didn't happen overnight for you either. You got to be patient with people. Uh, I think pure in heart not only sees themselves clearly, but they see people clearly as well. And there's a compassion that comes from that. Richard Rohr, which has a great podcast out, by the way. you should It's helped me so much in my reconstruction. Oh, my gosh. In living out this faith. Because otherwise, faith can just become a bunch of things you used to believe. And that's that's no life to build. That's no faith to live, you know? We've got to rebuild this thing, guys. I think the pure in heart have learned how to rebuild. To not only reconstruct, but to habitate. To live in the faith again. Anyways, Rohr says this. He goes, a Christian is one who sees others as Christ. It's simple, but profound, right? C.S. Lewis, he says, in this, he says it this way. He goes, I've never met a mere mortal. And, and uh, Tony Chris, a uh, dear friend of mine, puts it this way. He goes, he, he thinks what Lewis is getting at is if we really saw people clearly, if we really saw and understood their unique brilliance, their story, their idiosyncrasies and quirks and uniqueness, brilliant uniqueness of them, the Imago Dei, the image of God before us, if we really got that, that we would be prone to bow down and worship them. We'd be so blown away. We'd be so taken by this amazing gift before us. We'd see people clearly in their uniqueness, in their mistakes, in, in all of that, you know? And we'd be so marveled by it. 
one thing that's really helped me is um, one of Brene Brown's books. She talks about how she starts asking this question, are, do people really do the best that they can? Because I think her counselor told her that at one point in a story. And she was like, hell no, people aren't doing the best that they can. Because <laughs> she like thought of some examples of people cutting her off in traffic or jerks that she works with or whatever it might be, right? And uh, and she brings it up to her husband. She's like, do you really think that people are doing the best that they can? Because there's no way. People phone it in. People are just like straight up purposely jerks in life. There's no way that they're doing the best that they can. And her husband responded. He said, well, I'm not totally sure if they are. But I know I like myself better when I believe that. Is essentially what he told her. And I think that's so true. Uh, I remember reading that chapter... And it was right in the midst of my deconstruction and letting go of some long-held beliefs and realizing that will cost my belonging and they would upset a lot of people and it would hurt and uh, I'd lose friendships over it. I remember being really, really hurt by a few uh, uh, supervisors and people above me and uh, and just thinking, just vilifying them, you know? And by the way, isn't vilifying the opposite of pure in heart? Uh, God, uh, that, oh, that just came to me. That is the exact opposite of what this passage is getting at. Because <laughs> we don't see them. We, we don't see God. We don't see anything. All we see is we demonize people and we see the worst of them. And I remember I was on this walk, on this gravel path, make it all extra dramatic. But I was, <laughs> I remember coming to, saying out loud, I had to say it out loud. I, I remember saying, I, I think Ralph is doing the best that he can. And I remember it like it hurts so bad to say that because I didn't I didn't want to believe it, you know, and I just oh shit, that was hard to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I remember the freedom that came from that of just choosing to say that choosing to believe it and uh, the, the, the grip that was loosened in my soul towards another the decision to no longer vilify. Guys, there it, it's such a freedom. I mean, you've probably heard it before, but Rob Bell says that um, that forgiveness is letting the prisoner free and realizing that prisoner was you. It's true. Like, Ralph didn't need my forgiveness. He doesn't give a shit about me. And that's okay, because forgiveness is about me, you know? <laughs> it's about letting this prisoner free. Not someone else. You don't let someone else off the hook. You're letting yourself off the hook. You're freeing yourself when it comes to forgiveness. And I, please hear me. That takes process and takes time. It doesn't happen in one uh, walk down a down a gravel path. Oh, don't let me. Please don't don't hear that I'm oversimplifying this because I'm not. You didn't hear the other twenty other stories of struggling and up at night and all that. You know, like I I want to validate your experience of how it takes process and time to forgive. I'm just saying. It's worth it, okay? That's all I'm saying. The road works out well. And people maybe just are doing the best that they can. Seeing people clearly. I mean, isn't that true? The best conversations that we've had are always the pure ones. It's always the ones that cut through the facades and the masks and the um, the portfolio and the angling that we do, the alliances that we build in subtle kinds of ways. The pure in heart have a way of just having like the best kinds of conversations. That's why you always know you're 
talking to someone that's pure of heart because they'll like they, they they have no desire for like the fluff for the small talk if you if you want to put it that way my wife is like the worst small talker ever <laughs> she, she just she has like no interest in that game you know and that's uh, oh my gosh i'm so refreshed by that she has she is the worst at small talk so whenever we go to parties she's like because i'm awesome at it uh, she's always like, Hey, can you like do the small talk? And I'm like, yeah, I will. Of course, as always. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she's really bad. Um, but I love that about her. I wish I, I, I want to learn more of that, frankly, because that's, that's the pure ones guys. Um, I think men in particular, we like to talk about everything except the one thing we can't stop thinking about. Like, isn't that so true? Uh, there's that story, right, of Nicodemus coming to talk to Jesus, and he comes to him at night, and he has some, like, really significant questions for him. And I love that Jesus is okay with that, you know, that Nicodemus would be too embarrassed to talk, ask these questions during the day or in front of others. It has to be private. It has to be just between the two of them. No one else can see. And Jesus is perfectly fine with that because like, he saw himself clearly. And so he wasn't like trying to, he wasn't going to, pure and heart people don't get offended easily. Like <laughs> they just, they're okay with seeing people clearly. And he saw Nicodemus clearly. And, um, and, and that's, I can relate to that to some degree because in, in making these changes of my beliefs, um, it's, it's really interesting how there's a lot of Nicodemuses that come up to you, you know, like I, I think I most likely have a conversation with someone like this later today. Um, cause it's someone I haven't talked to in like probably back when I was a, a, a young adult Baptist pastor, if you believe that. <laughs> and, um, and she was a part of that ministry and I haven't talked to her probably in, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. And she out of nowhere reached out and, um, and it's, it's, it's probably cause she sees me as someone of a safe person to have these kinds of conversations with. And, 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 and that's Okay. That, you know, she's not going to have that conversation over social media publicly. That'd be weird. You know, that's, that's totally fine. It's a, it's a, it's such a privilege to have those kinds of conversations. I've had a lot of them. I've even learned when it comes to like social media, um, that, uh, I like, I'll post something controversial from, well, it's not controversial to me, but it's like controversial to evangelicals. And I still have a good amount of evangelical friends, like people that would see themselves as pretty conservative, and I'll post something about race or sexuality and and it gets a ton of comments and it's a lot of fighting and people go at it. And I, I, I used to engage and I, I will if they ask me a direct question, but I just don't largely bother anymore because I think they've already made their decisions and that's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, like I, I even see like, it's okay. So the questions, if they do ask, are usually not sincere ones, right? They're not coming from a pure and heart place and that's okay. But the reason why I post publicly is I've realized the really good stuff is always in the private messages that come later. It's always in the Nicodemus moments. Like that's that's the good stuff. Because that public post may have knocked on a door and, um, and, and, and that allows you to feel like a safe person um, for someone to have a really um, important conversation uh, I've, I've just I've seen that when it comes to social media that that's where the fruit of it lies. It's never in the public post. Post is always in the private message. But going back to the public post or just evangelicals in general, 
I've realized that most of the conversations around them wanting you to agree with them again so that you can be a part of their group and they can continue to control Christianity as they know it. Ultimately, I think it's about power. I think it's I think it's about control. And and oftentimes, generally speaking, not always, but oftentimes that's the case. And I've just I I've gotten better at seeing through that. I'm like, oh, you actually you don't even know what you believe and I don't know what I believe and we're talking about heaven and hell and neither of us have been there and <laughs> so like but it's it's actually just about you controlling what I believe. Um and I've realized a defense about that is a best defense is just to show your hand and to give up the the fight entirely. So I, when people are like, "Well, you know, that's heresy and you don't you shouldn't believe that because, you know, blah 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 blah." I just I like to respond by saying, "You think that's bad? I have way worse/loving beliefs than those." <laughs> Cuz it seems to it see when my I think it purifies the conversation cuz it's like, "Are we really going to have this talk?" Cause it, cause if you, if you want to believe that I'm going to hell because that makes you feel more like convinced that you're going to heaven, then that's fine. You can, I'm okay with that. I'm totally comfortable with, if that's what you need, you know, but if you actually want to have a real conversation, if we were to really have an honest, sincere, um, conversation without any guile, if it's going to be Nicodemus, then, then that's a different conversation, but let's, let's just take this out of the, uh, formula. You know, <laughs> let's just let's just concede that point entirely. And it's actually been really freeing for me uh, for what it's worth. So I, you feel free to use that. It's helped me a ton. If you think that's bad, just so you know, I have way worse slash loving beliefs than those. <laughs> and it has a way of really um, deescalating the conversation because it's they kind of achieve what they want at that point. Uh, and then something maybe more pure can occur. But I want to leave us with this idea uh, because my guess is uh, if you're listening to this, you're, you've been through a good amount of deconstruction and you probably know that it can leave us really resentful because uh, you're just, you know, you, you, all, that's, all those wounds of being hurt by evangelicalism or even the purity movement, right? Oh my gosh. Like all this, it's, it, or patriarchy or um, whatever it might be, racism that's tied into those beliefs and you just finally are shedding all of that and, and it's really easy to just have a faith that's just a bunch of resentment. And I don't think the pure in heart do that. I think they've learned to come out the other side. What I'm saying is like, um, you know, allow those unhelpful beliefs to die, but also realize that the, the real good stuff's in the resurrection. It's in the reconstruction of our beliefs. It's in the habitation of our beliefs where we, Decide not only this is what I no longer believe, but this is what I believe, and this is therefore how I'll live. Uh, and I don't think it's fair for us to curse the very hill that we see from. I've learned this from Ryan Meeks. He he's talked so uh, lovingly about his evangelical days, and I, I'd like to get there someday. I'm not there yet, obviously, from this podcast, but I'd like to. I'd like to talk fondly of it. Then see that like, oh, I needed that. That was necessary. That's part of my story. And I don't want to uh, 
And I'm thankful for my story. I, I'm excited with where it's headed this next chapter. I'm just saying this chapter wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the previous chapters. So I'm not going to curse the very hill that I see from. And then to gain from uh, Stan Mitchell, I've learned to take that illustration further. When I see from this hill, I should also notice that there's other peaks that people see from as well. And there's much further up. I'm just seeing from a peak and there's much more higher heights to climb and it gets a lot better. And so what I mean is don't be arrogant. Don't assume that somehow you've arrived because that's what you despise about others that claim certain beliefs, right? That somehow they think they've arrived. Don't become the very thing we despise. Like stay humble, stay pure in heart. Realize that the journey's really just begun and we're allowed to see from these heights only so that we can capture that there's other peaks to climb towards. Uh, that's what I want. I think that's what it looks like to see God is to realize that the spot I'm seeing from gets so much wider and expansive and loving and generous and humble and kind and caring and good. That's the peak I want to see from. To only see that there's further peaks to climb. I think that um, being pure in heart means to be okay with being understood. It means to be okay with people disagreeing with us. Because we're secure in being loved. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for you as well. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Grace and peace to you. May you experience this grace this week. And hopefully I'll do another one of these sooner than later, huh? (laughs) I'll see you guys soon.